Hello, welcome to the Pretty Pixels podcast. I'm your host, Tab London. And I'm your other host, Joey Crunwell. And today, what are we starting with, Joey? You have a surprise for us. Well, we're starting a little. So this, this episode is about Resident Evil, but I just got mm-hmm. my Mass Effect Legendary Edition cash in. I ordered that special edition, yeah, very expensive Legendary cash, and it shipped early. It does not come with the game, so I'm not getting the the game early, which is fine because I have Resident Evil to play this weekend. But um, I got the cash in. I haven't opened it yet. I just pulled it out of the the big kind of cardboard box. And this thing is massive. It's this huge <laughs> black box. I mean, it's the kind of thing that you see streamers unbox on stream. Right. And right. it's so pretty. It's like this very like matte black. And then on the on the face, it says, I, I know this is an audio podcast. So this is probably not super exciting for listeners. But it says, relive the legend on the front in like this really cool lettering with like galactic, galactic kind of coloring. Um, I just wanted to open it really quick just because... It comes with this like special edition helmet. Mm-hmm. And we know you're going to be wearing it. So. Yes, the whole show. <laughs> um, there's a nice little letter in there Ooh. that says, Shepard, when I graduated from the Ansem, blah, blah, blah. It's like a letter telling me, you know, pretending like I'm Commander Shepard. But uh, I don't know what this is. What is this? this is this some sort of art print, maybe? It might be. It's very thick and heavy. Ooh. Like a metal print? Or maybe it's like a background for the helmet? I forgot what's in this. I ordered it mainly for the helmet, and I was like... (laughs) Mainly for the helmet. He's going to go to sleep (laughs) in it. (laughs) If I remember correctly, the helmet has, like, functionality. Like, there's, like, lights. Oh, shit. And, like, you can wear it and everything. This looks like some kind of, I guess, some kind of art print. It's very heavy duty. if you can see that. Yeah. But it's like, you think it's meant to be part of like a display board or something? Yeah, I think so. I'm not going to... Oh, there's a, there's several. There's another one. Well, there's two. This Ooh. is the ship. I can see the N7 or the Normandy uh, through that. There's a nice little metal... By the way, um, does this release on the... Is it the 14th? Is it the 14th? It might be the 14th. For some reason, I had the 10th in mind, but it, yeah, very well might be the 14th. There's the steel case that it comes with. Very pretty. Um. Oh Lord. Okay, you know what? I'm not gonna. It's it's all taped up. Aww. Yeah, it's a, again. It's an audio <laughs> podcast. I will post pictures. I'll I'll pull out yes. the whole thing and take take pictures and stuff, and I'll post it on my Twitter. So, if you should be interested, check out my Twitter at Losperman L O S P E R M A N, and I'll post some some pictures of the helmet. Of me wearing it naked, um, but no, no, I won't. That's, I won't become? be wearing it. I'll just every be naked. week it's something, man. <laughs> Got to spice it up a little bit. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess let's you know let's put that aside. I'm very very excited. Um, we'll have plenty to say about about Mass Effect Legendary Edition when we when we start playing it in a couple weeks. But until then, um, Resident Evil. Or well, yes. well, okay. Before uh, there's some Resident Evil in well, the news. That's why I was going to jump to that. But is there any news that kind of jumped out this week that you want to talk about? Um, the only thing really would be Sony um, uh, purchasing a, a stake. Is that the appropriate terminology? Mm-hmm. Um, having a stake in Discord, which is interesting because obviously the Microsoft deal or the 
potential for a deal fell through for whatever reason. Um, but I, we were talking about this earlier and I think it's interesting because Sony obviously is going to be integrating discord into, um, you know, on, on the PlayStation. What, what was it next year? Yeah, 2022, according to Polygon. Okay, did they give more of a timeline or? I don't think so. I think there was just a statement. Yeah, and it was just like starting in 2022, we'll be integrating it. Um, And because one of the things that I study is um, content moderation, I'm curious what, if anything, will change on Discord's side of things as far as how they moderate their, their platform. Um, I don't know that we'll ever hear anything official on that, but I will be curious to see what, if any, changes happen as a result of um, Sony partnering up with them. Right, because in the past, anytime there was this partnership between companies that have some kind of chat or you know sharing functionality, mm-hmm. the platform, Sony, Microsoft, Nintendo, seem, well, maybe not Nintendo because they're kind of a different thing, but like Sony and Microsoft seem to have their own pretty strict rules and regulations right so Mm -hmm. like you said it'll be really interesting to see how how that works um there's the apple versus epic stuff i'm not super interested in that i do i understand that it's a very important legal battle and it's going to have repercussions that are long lasting probably Mm -hmm. but i feel like this is going to be a very long process and i'm not interested in like constantly checking in and like now what did they say now what did they present i know that one of the big bullet points for this particular most recent I, I well they just started the trial the public trial mm-hmm. um and one of the most interesting thing was like Fortnite earnings but it's like is that even interesting like we know Fortnite makes a ton of money like yeah, it's yeah. that wasn't super interesting to me yeah i'm not immediately that invested in this yeah so i don't really even know what's been happening same yeah um the last thing i have is Resident Evil Village. So Capcom Japan released a commercial for Resident Evil Village. Did you get a chance to watch this? I tweeted it out. I have not. Oh, you, you should. We should pause this and go, go watch it right now. <laughs> it's a it's a commercial for Resident Evil Village, but it's okay. the most Japanese Resident Evil Village commercial because okay. it's all done with puppets and it's like very cute. And it's oh. like all of the antagonists, like it's Lady Dimitrice and... I don't, I don't remember the other names, but it's like the four, what seemed like the four followers of, um, mm-hmm. of, uh, oh God, what is her name? Mother Miranda. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, but they're all puppets and they're all like, you know, oops, I accidentally <laughs> chopped you with a chainsaw and like all this like fake, oh my God. You know, very cute blood <laughs> comes out. And like Lady D has like these bowls of, or these like buckets of blood and she goes crazy and starts like gurp, glurping them down. It's so cute and stupid and funny. So, <laughs> All right, well, definitely watching that after this. <laughs> yeah. And again, that's on my Twitter. So if anyone happens to, to want to see that, um, it's very cute. I, I definitely think it's worth checking out. It, it is in Japanese, of course. So we don't really understand yeah, yeah. What's, what's going on if you don't know Japanese. But, but that's super cute. Um, what have you been playing? I know you've been playing some some stuff yeah um two things this week so more planet zoo i continue with that obsession <clears throat> um i i've moved on to breeding lions and let me tell you they will bankrupt you quickly because really? they're very expensive to feed um <laughs> but apart from that well because sorry sorry to interrupt ahead. but you said like there's a difference like you could give them like kitty kitty you know like kitty kibble basically right but you want to give them like the good stuff they will bankrupt you 
giving them the basic food. Really? The level one. Wow. I had way too many of them. I was way too ambitious with my breeding program. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I had to scale way back. Um, but yeah, still trying to strike a balance with that because I'm trying to get more of those conservation points. And I actually have um, over 100,000 conservation points right now. Nice. So basically I can buy whatever animal I want. But now I'm like obsessed. I want to keep getting the points so that I never have to worry about them ever again. Well, you have that really <laughs> awesome exhibit for the lions. It's like you said you downloaded it from that shared workshop. community, yeah, right? It's so a, like it's this little lion coliseum. It looks really sweet. It like, looks people really are cool. so creative. But it also looked impressive. huge. So I can see why you'd be like, oh, I need to fill this out. Like get some lions oh, yeah. in there. And now they're just, mm-hmm. they're breaking out. They're eating people. They're eating people. I don't know that that can happen. They can't escape, but they just kind of like run around the map. So Oh, yeah. that's sad. Not as exciting as, you know, <laughs> shooting people off a roller coaster and roller coaster tag. <laughs> But um, the second thing that I've been playing um, is a game that there's there's a lot of chatter about, um, Returnal, which uh, released last Friday the 30th, right? Right. Um, and Returnal is developed by Housemark, and I believe, I think they're still, or still, <laughs> <laughs> I think they're Finland's oldest developer, but I think there's two that are kind of tied or something like that. But they're one of the oldest developers in Finland. Um, the game, of course, was published by Sony. It's an exclusive for the PS5. And essentially, it follows um, this character, Celine, who is uh, kind of uh astronaut scout. And she gets stuck in this time loop on this planet called Atropos. And the game is third person. It's a third person shooter and it has these rogue light elements. So basically when you die, you lose all of your consumables like health items, artifacts, parasites, things like that. And once you respawn, the level will change. And there are certain certain features or elements that are the same, but they might be placed in like a different order. Right. So the more you play, the more recognizable those elements become. Um, and so it becomes, I don't want to say predictable, but you'll know like, oh, I recognize that room. It's going to have this certain element in that room. Okay. Um, and I will say that it is a lot of fun. Um, I took some notes because I want to be careful of of what I say about this because of the game's discourse. But um, no, it's it's a beautiful game. Like it feels perfect for the PS5. Um, the sound design is excellent. The music is, is beautiful, but like eerie and fantastic. Um, and I think the game really takes advantage of the dual sense in ways that I hope other games do. So not only do you have like the the sort of environmental impact that you can feel on the dual sense but also um i don't know if you've looked at any reviews joey but um one of the things that people were really talking about with some of those early reviews was uh in order to fire uh well there's actually like two modes for your weapon and you like hold down the left trigger and then it like it's like locked so to speak and you have to really push it down Uh if you want to like move to the second firing mode and i think that that maybe that seems more clever than it should but it was something that's like different enough i was like oh cool i want to see that in other games because it works really well um i really like existing in the the space that returnal provides but i do have a few issues with it um really the one that is most uh 
frustrating for me is that the game does not allow you to like save and walk away. And I know there's going to be people who are like, it's a roguelite. You don't need to save. I don't care about that argument. There are plenty of rogue lights and likes that do have a saving function. And I'm not talking about being able to like abuse the save function, which also that never affects you as a player. Just don't do it. You know what I mean? If that bothers you. Uh, But anyway, um, a run through a level, it's it's referred to as a cycle. If you're being careful, it could take you two hours to get through a level or more. Like if you're being really careful, it really frustrates me that I would have to put my console into um, rest mode. Right. Like I can't do anything else. Like what? Like why can't it just like save every time I walk through a, a gateway or something like that? Um, So that's kind of annoying. And then, of course, the other thing that is mostly taking over the discourse is that the game is is difficult. Um, I don't I don't want to talk too much about it because I'm a little bit frustrated by all that conversation. (laughs) I want to get into it. Um, We'll we'll get there. But what I'll say is that uh, I think there's a lot of gatekeeping that really feeds into the commentary about like difficult games. Um, And I'm not really, I'm not really interested in engaging with that at this time. Maybe we can have a discussion more about like games culture and and things like that. But what I will say is Returnal is obviously a difficult game. Um, It's not typically the type of game that I would pick up. And I'm going to be honest, I'm not great at this game, but even though I suck, I keep going back and playing it. Like I love just the environments and the ambient noises and it's beautiful and we were talking about this a little bit um earlier in in the week but i feel like this game launched at a time like it's early enough in the ps5 cycle that people want something new and i had that feeling like i wanted something new yeah but you can get caught up in the excitement of ooh, new game that's a ps5 exclusive and then realize like you know would I normally have made that purchase? I don't really regret it too much because, like I said, I have been having fun. I played another two hours today. I think I'm just under 10 hours, um, and I think I'm going to keep playing. I'm noticing very minimal <laughs> improvements in my in my play. Um, I, I This is not a game that I'm going to beat. I mean, I could probably spend... If I were to spend, like, three years perfecting this game alone... Maybe, but I don't. I don't have the patience for that. So yeah, yeah. It's the thing that kept drawing me to it was just how pretty it is. Like it mm-hmm. looks like such a gorgeous game, and like yes. you said, it looks like it really takes advantage. I don't know that it that it. I hope it doesn't push the PS5 to its limits. I'm hoping there's there's a lot more kind of you know juice to pull out of it, but juice to pull out of it. What do you you don't pull juice out of stuff? <laughs> you know squeeze some juice yeah, out of yeah. it or whatever. But like, um. But I kept hearing about that difficulty before it was even being reviewed, and that was mm-hmm. and the 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 nature of that type of game where you have to keep doing yes. the same thing over and over again. And that right there is that's that makes it not really a game for me. I get I get irritable when a game keeps making me do the same thing, and I don't feel like I'm getting anything out of it. And so that I just understand that that's just not really my kind of game. And like you said, we don't have to get too far into the discourse. But one of the things that I'm kind of annoyed at with with the the discourse and the discussion around this game is that 
you know, there's the the idea about accessibility, which on the first on the on just first of all, I'm in agreement with the people that say that games should be accessible for everyone. I know that there's an there's an argument that well, this game isn't for you. I just think that is kind of unfortunate. I think there are people that in terms of skill level aren't able to play these games and that's that's one unfortunate thing but really it's again disability there are people that physically are not able to play these kinds of games and to say that it would like ruin the game or ruin the experience if you're adding options optional difficulties that's what frustrates me is it's like it's just like you were saying with the um with the uh saving thing it's like you don't have to if you want to be a hardcore player and play it as intended and, and play it hardcore and all that stuff you have that option if you don't want to you can play it easier you can play it harder whatever it is mm-hmm. it's just giving options it doesn't necessarily mean that it's ruining the game right and, and i mean I, I don't understand the people that get caught up in well you cheated then or you would take advantage of the save system or like that somehow takes away from the fact that like you beat the game or whatever that you're enjoying the game people have been save scumming on pcs for decades like it doesn't affect you right and i also feel like it's saying something about how you value other things like story and Mm -hmm. exploration in the world and stuff like that so you're saying that the most important thing is the challenge and without that like what what, there's no value right exactly (laughs) yeah and the other thing is i know we just started talking about this and we don't have to get too far into it but um, what I've noticed is a lot of reviewers seem hesitant to use the difficulty as a criticism for the game. Gene Park um, for the Washington Post actually didn't finish his review because he couldn't get past the second world. So he got mm-hmm. his review copy early. He, as a gamer who says, uh, I don't remember the exact quote, but it's something like he plays Dark Souls for fun. So, like, as someone who plays those kinds of, like, maddeningly difficult games, he couldn't get past the second world in time to get a review out. So he didn't give it a review score. And he just said, I guess this is just, like, my thoughts on the game. Mm -hmm. Um, And, like... Which, by the way, also valid. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But the unfortunate thing is reviewers are expected to get through the game and to give it an objective-seeming score. But the problem is, like, reviews are not objective. Reviewers, I've heard on plenty of occasions, say... These are subjective. These are just our personal Mm -hmm. feelings about the game. This is if we like the game or if we dislike the game. But they're also expected by some people to be objective. You you have to give it a review score, and that implies a level of objectivity, a level of, like, valuing this thing. But that's a whole other issue with gaming culture, I think. Right, but I, I feel like that score a lot of these reviewers are not allowing the difficulty to affect the score. And the reason that it annoys me is because there are we they allow it when it's when a game is too easy. Like when we started having this discussion, I immediately thought of Super Princess Peach for the Nintendo DS, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And one of the main criticisms of that game was that it was too easy. And so mm-hmm. I went and checked, I went and looked it up and like the IGN score um they they ding it because it's easy. It says um uh oh man, I lost the little quote that I had. Um there are two sides. Uh, on the one hand, you pretty much know what you're getting. On the other hand, it's a Nintendo developed platforming. It's interesting balance. Um, e- even if it's a little too easy for the usual gaming crowd. Uh, when you look at the Wikipedia article where they do the consensus of the, of the reviews, 
Um, it says the game's lack of difficulty was intensely criticized, and then they give several examples from GameSpy, IGN, GameSpot. The GameSpot review says that the byline is it's a neat, not the byline, but the the sub title is it's a neat bit of role reversal for peach and it does a good job of defining itself outside of the mario formula but the game is too easy for its own good we absolutely when a game is quote-unquote too easy we hold it against the game a game can be quote-unquote too easy and that makes it you know makes us value it less but for some reason when a game is too hard for the average gamer or even people who play dark souls for fun like gene park we're still we're hesitant we're i think there's the the tendency to blame ourselves like oh it's just because we're not good enough and of course there's that toxic gamer discourse from those that certain crowd that will come out and say that and say well it's not the game's fault it's your fault and it's like the game should be if it's developed and designed well um should be enabling us to overcome these hurdles if we keep tripping on the same hurdle time and time and time again and we can't get past it i don't understand and it seems like the majority of gamers are doing that I don't understand how that's how we're hesitant to be like, well, that must just be us. If it's enough people that are doing it, at what point does it become the game's fault? That's that's the only part where I get sort of annoyed at the discourse is that 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 there's this sort of hesitancy that not even terms in terms of accessibility. I think that's a different issue. But in terms Mm -hmm. of difficulty to hold games accountable for being too difficult, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, I will just say from my perspective and just my experience with Returnal, like there's no doubt that it is a difficult game, but there's also no doubt that I have not mastered the movement system. I I had an epiphany a couple days ago and I was like, I'm not taking advantage of the jumping and the dashing system to like... Yeah, I'm just I'm just not taking advantage of it as fully as I could be. And that's something that I would have to master if I'm actually going to improve at the game. Okay. Do you think the game does a good job of explaining those mechanics? I haven't played it, so that's one of the ways it's I'm It's kind of light on tutorial. Right. And I don't know, I don't think I've I don't know that I've played another House Mark game. Have you? I don't think so. Yeah, so I don't know if this is like par for the course for them or what. Right. But... I know this is a new genre for them. I don't think they've ever done. Yeah. A yeah. Game and like this. and there's plenty that's impressive with this game. Like the yeah. fact that okay, this is a new genre for them. I think I saw a review that was like they made the transition to um third person seamlessly. I agree. It, there there's no issues with that. It's like they've been making third person games for a long time. That's how it feels, yeah. how how it looks and feels. Um and I think they must have, I'm assuming, had some uh, maybe assistance from Sony as far as like how they like took advantage of the system. Mm-hmm. Um, it like doesn't seem to put any strain on the PS5 and also the load times. Oh, my God. What load times? It's so fast. I'm yeah. like, you just hit the X and it's bloop, done. <laughs> like it's, 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 it's impressive. Right. And it's such a visually pretty intensive game. Right. So it's mm-hmm. like that is doubly impressive. So I think it's just one of those games where it's like I'm sad that I I'm probably not going to play it because it's so pretty that the concept is right up my alley. I think in terms of representation, it's great. It has a woman who is older. We don't get that very often. I can't think of very many like older female protagonists. Um, and so I think it has some really cool, really appealing aspects, but it's just, if there's, if there's no way that I'm going to get to experience most of the game, cause I'm going to get very frustrated and give up, then I just, right. I feel kind of sad that I'm, I'm not going to be able to 
to partake in that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, those were the um, the two games that I played this week. How about you? I have played a few games. Uh, I finished Fallout New Vegas, and I feel I, I did really like it. Um, I it's not my favorite. I think Fallout Three is my favorite, and then maybe Fallout New Vegas, and then maybe Fallout Four. Um, Fallout New Vegas has a very complex story structure that is impacted greatly by choice and by action. Mm -hmm. And so once you get to a certain point in the game, so I think I might have mentioned before, but there are a lot of factions in this game, big and small. So there are big factions, these major organizations that have an impact on the ending of the story, where if you align with them, you'll get a certain ending, or if you go against them, you'll get a certain ending, that kind of thing. Mm Uh, and then there are a bunch of smaller factions which can pop up in that final battle or cannot, you know, they can pop up against you, they can pop up for you depending on your actions. So there's like tons. I think that's, I can see some people, this is their favorite Fallout. And I can see ter- in terms of replay value and story variability, this game is amazing. Um, you can go through this and play. Cause like the ending that I got. When you when you finish the game, it goes through these this like series of kind of slides where there's a voiceover and it says, This is what happened to your character, this is what mm. happened to this faction, this is what happened to this faction and this character. And it goes on for a while and it goes through major and minor groups. So there were groups that I had interacted with in the very beginning of the game that I forgot about that the ending was like, and this group just was wiped out by all the war Aww. or whatever. And I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck? Like it, was there something I could have done to affect that? I don't know. But I feel like that makes that game kind of almost infinitely replayable. Mm. Um, But on the other hand, when I got to that point in the game, I was feeling a little bit rushed and kind of like antsy to just move on because the game was acting kind of hitchy, as I mentioned before. Now, granted, my last two play sessions were pretty smooth, not, not a lot of hitching, but there were a good two or three play sessions that were just hiccupy and hitchy and it made those stretches of game very frustrating Mm. and i was starting to run up to the point where like i want to finish so i have time to play resident evil i can't you know can't still be playing this game and all that kind of stuff so i'm not blaming the game for it i just was starting to feel rushed but overall aside from just kind of being a little bit frustrated by all the the hurdles i had to jump at the end of the game Mm -hmm. i really liked it i took the ncr path and if anyone's played the game they they know what i mean what i do find interesting is that when you when you have all these factions um, I, I, I suspect that as you're going through, there's a, there's a faction that feels instinctually just from your gut, like the right choice, like the quote unquote best choice in terms of like the best for this region, because that's part of what you're doing this for. Um, and for me, it felt like the NCR, but then I finished and I noticed only 7% of people had gotten that ending in terms of the trophies uh-huh. on PlayStation. There were two other endings that had like 14% that seemed like the more popular endings. And I'm like, hmm. is that it's so interesting because from my perspective, granted, it was a complicated choice. I don't think any of the factions are perfect, um, but just maybe like my path through the game, the NCR, which is the New California Republic, which is sort of like mm-hmm. a political military kind of standard t- kind of military kind of group um seemed like the most off to offer the most like stability but i don't know maybe not and that again that would encourage me if i had more time and all that stuff to play again and kind of take some different paths but um but i would be super interested if you ever end up picking it back up down the line sometime what what faction you'll go 
go with because it's mm-hmm. it's really interesting the choices that they they give you they're very different i think they did a really good job of writing really distinct groups and things like that good yeah. man i want i want another fallout <laughs> <laughs> give it to me just a few more years yeah. <laughs> um hopefully now hopefully now with bethesda and microsoft together yeah. it'll be a more i mean i don't know what they're you know, production situation was before that, but um, hopefully there's a lot more like clear direction, more resources, and they they start getting stuff knocked out. Um, after that, I was like, I, I want to play small, kind of more light kind of fare. Um, so I played a game called Sakura Succubus, which is like a um, visual novel, and I, I'm not even going to call it erotic. Or like sexual because it's not. It might even. It might not even be ra- rated M for mature. It is very mm-hmm. suggestive. I guess that's what I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a visual novel. It's a Japanese visual novel. So it's very much like oh, there are these three girls who want to bang you, and you gotta like go through these. But it's it's it really is just a visual novel. You just click through stuff. There are a few choices in it, but I don't think they make any effect on the story, mm-hmm. or have any effect on the story. And so it was the easiest platinum trophy I've ever gotten because I literally just spent like <laughs> two, two and a half hours clicking through this story, which was poorly written. Um, I I feel like it's the kind of game that gives me, it almost inspires me to write a visual novel because I'm like, I can see there's some interesting stuff there, but it's very limited. The artwork's pretty limited. Like there aren't very many animations or um, drawings. And so I can see that there's like something there that's like interesting, but like hmm. I want more and I feel like I could, I could be on a team that would do more. So it's, it's almost in a, in a way kind of inspirational in um, his book on writing. Stephen King has a whole part where he's talking about like, when you reach that point where you're, when you read something and you're like, I could do that better. That's when you should start writing. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of like, maybe I should start making games because <laughs> I play a game like that and I'm like, ah, oh, the writing is so bad. Like, I know I could do better. But then I think that sort of led me to replay Arcade Spirits. I just bought Arcade Spirits during one of the PlayStation sales. Mm-hmm. I played it originally for PC. And I was like, I know I like that game. That's a really good visual novel slash um, uh, romance sim. What is it called? A romance sim? Uh, yeah. Dating sim. Dating sim. Dating sim. Not right. romance sim. That sounds wrong. Uh, that's a really good, well-written dating sim. It's pretty long, but I was like, I've already played through it. Uh, I got, I got Naomi, the girl, the girl of my dreams in that game. <laughs> um, so this time, I, I just want to get the platinum trophy because it's a game that I right. really like. So mm-hmm. that's what I'm doing now. I'm, I just made it through my first playthrough, and then of course, I played the most recent 60-minute Resident Evil Village demo, which was mostly mm-hmm. just doing the same stuff I've already done. Right. Um, so I don't have much to to contribute to that other than I'm very excited for the game Friday. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> the, my little my little Best Buy things like we're getting it prepared for you to pick up, and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> buddy, here I come. Um, but yeah, so that that is what I have been playing. Cool. All right, so that is what we've been playing. But our main course for this particular episode is a resident evil retrospective Mm -hmm. so resident evil village is coming out later this week we've already mentioned that it's probably apparent if you listen to previous episodes that i am incredibly excited resident (laughs) evil is one of my favorite franchises i really loved the recent entries into the series so 
Um, and, I, and when I saw the first trailer for this game, I was like, oh, my God, you're taking all the elements that I love and you're adding in like these beautiful, big Castlevania style castle, beautiful, mm-hmm. big, sexy vampires. So <laughs> everything just seems to be lining up. So I'm super excited. Um, you're super you mentioned you were super excited to watch me play because you've watched mm-hmm. me play absolutely a couple of the recent games. Um so I think this is going to be really fun. I'm also excited just to see what people do with it because with Resident Evil 2 Remake, I feel like that was the first entry in the series that really got kind of like the widespread meme and like, you know, mm-hmm. people making videos and people replacing, like modding it and replacing Mr. X with Thomas the Tank Engine or, you know, whoever. And I've already seen people doing that with even just the Resident Evil Village demo. So I'm super curious about that kind of stuff to see what kind of like memes and jokes and and everything come out of it. But um, but yeah, so I, I'm I'm super excited. So we wanted to do sort of a retrospective, a look back on the series. It's a it's a pretty old series. The very first game in the the series was released in March of 1996 in both Japan and North America for the original PlayStation, and I think that kind of dual release shows. That from the very beginning, this was meant to be a global franchise. It was meant to appeal to both Western and Japanese and Eastern audiences. Right. Um, and because almost every release in the in the series came out either at the same time in North America and Europe as Japan or very close, which is pretty rare, especially in the 90s. Typically, it took months, if not a year or more to uh, release a game in the West that was record or uh, produced in Japan. But I, it wasn't the first survival horror game necessarily. There were games like Alone in the Dark or the Clock Tower games or D um, that had horror elements. But I think it came to define the genre. I don't remember if it was the first game that was considered a quote unquote survival horror game. Um, mm. But it absolutely became the one to, to define the genre and kind of set the precedent for a lot of things. Um, I'm not going to, I don't want to go through an exhaustive history. I shared a timeline of releases in the in our shared document for the podcast and as i think you can attest to it's massive there are it is tons of games (laughs) (laughs) and i didn't even list everything i didn't list any of the mobile games there are 20 mobile games i'm only going to go through the mainline games here just really quick just to give you a sense of of what the mainline releases look like Um, but there are a bunch of remakes there are a bunch of um, offshoots and uh, there's arcade games, there are novels, there are movies, animated films, all, all this kind of stuff. But the mainline games are Resident Evil, Resident Evil 2, Resident Evil 3 Nemesis. Uh, those are the three sort of like original trilogy kind of trio, like Raccoon City trilogy, you might call them. Um, and then Resident Evil Code Veronica came out for the Dreamcast. Uh, Resident Evil Zero, there was a Resident Evil remake for the GameCube, Resident Evil 4, which came out on like virtually everything, Resident Evil 5, Resident Evil 6, uh, Resident Evil 7 Biohazard, which is the most recent entry, and now Resident Evil Village. So when I read that, it sounds like, oh, there's not there's not that many games, but I'm not even dipping my toe into, again, the remakes. The first three games have been right. remade. Um, again, Resident Evil 4, there's been different versions of it uh and then there's just all kinds of side stories there's lichen games there's portable games there's i mean it goes all the way back to game game boy color there was a resident evil game on game boy color in 2001 (laughs) so um but the movies i think that's where a lot of people know know resident evil from i was wearing Mm -hmm. an umbrella shirt 
at one point and I, I think I was getting a hot dog from a stand on campus or something. And this girl was like, Oh, umbrella. Yeah. I, I love resident evil. And I was like, Oh, what's, Oh, well, like, what's your favorite game? And she's like, Oh, um, <laughs> I was, I, I like the movies. Like she was confused. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The movies are great. And I didn't want to make it awkward or make it seem like I was trying to like gatekeeper be like, Oh, well, right. you're not, a, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. but it sort of struck me that there are people that may have never played a Resident Evil game, but are Resident Evil fans, you know, mm-hmm. because the Mia Jovovich movies were actually pretty successful in terms of um, box office returns and stuff like that. And there's like seven of them, I think. So there's a bunch of oh, shit. There's that many. There's oh, six. I want to say there's like six or seven. I got to um, get caught up. <laughs> <laughs> but those stories have nothing to do with the video, virtually nothing to do with the video game stories. There's some elements, especially in the second movie, where there's like characters and enemies from the games. But for mm. the most part, the movies kind of do their own thing. Um, but the Resident Evil story as is, is sort of like, you know, to, the, what you need to know to go into Resident Evil Village comes from the games and the animated movies. But it's so convoluted i'm going to try to break it down into as simple and easily digestible of a of a capsule as i can um but but even then you know your eyes might start glazing over you might start turning into a zombie at some point because <laughs> it is it is pretty massive but here we go so it all starts as many things do with white colonialism <laughs> so in the 1960s, there's these three wealthy white dudes, Edward Ashford, James Marcus, and Oswell Spencer, um, and they hear about this flower in Africa that has these strange properties that can affect living things around it. So they're like, hmm, I wonder what this is. So they go to Africa, and of course, like good white colonialists, they steal it. Um, they take some of the flowers, they take samples, and they bring it back to the United States for study. And this part of this, this is all, this is not even in the first game. This is all stuff that's like, you know, sewn throughout the the different releases. But I do think that it's important. Like this is where the whole thing Mm -hmm. starts with this flower. Um, And the virus that they abstract or uh, extract from the flowers is called a progenitor virus. So the T virus and the G virus, these are like what became shorthands for like mutations. And they're kind of the famous viruses are like, oh, the T virus, that's the virus that makes zombies. But it all starts in Africa. It it starts with these three um, wealthy white dudes, Ashford, Marcus and Spencer. And they find it and they're like, "Ooh, we can exploit this. So they bring it back to the U.S., and they're like, well, we need to do all these experiments, but what we're doing is probably illegal. We want to exploit the, this and find ways to sell it and make it into weapons and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. they form Umbrella Pharmaceuticals in 1968 as a front for their illegal experiments. The problem is, of course, you get three wealthy, powerful white dudes together and they can't play well together, right? Because they're they have these big egos and these agendas. And so... They start. They start infighting. They start coming up with you know one person wants to do this with the the research. One person wants to do that. Um, so Ashford leaves. He's like, you guys can fight. I'm gonna go do my own thing with this research. Uh, and he he develops a well. I think it's his son actually. He dies, and his son takes over for him and develops this secret research facility in Antarctica to start using. Uh, to start researching the virus to create the ultimate human successor. He wants to make like 
proto-humans or we're not proto-humans hmm. like neo-humans basically um and so he leaves marcus and spencer back in the united states fighting over this research um marcus thinks that spencer is trying to steal his research which he is because marcus is a genius and spencer apparently less so spencer is very manipulative and very cunning but marcus is a very he's a brilliant scientist so he's coming up with these really cool things so that's the 1960s moved to the 1970s and uh in antarctica alexander who is um homeboy's son uh i'm already (laughs) see i'm already getting confused um ashford ashford's son it's it's alexander ashford so alexander ashford's son uh creates the code veronica project and that's the project where he's like i'm gonna come out i'm gonna clone humans and make them and imbue them with this these special powers from this this virus uh to to give them these superhuman abilities um so he creates the code veronica uh virus in the 19 or the code veronica became the t veronica virus in the 1970s um spencer is like again he's intent on spying on marcus so he assigns these two researchers dr william dr william birkin and dr albert wesker to work with marcus and basically spy on him these this is super important these two characters have a huge impact on the story so so this it all starts when spencer is like i'm gonna steal marcus's data so he assigns these two doctors william birkin and albert wesker to to spy on him essentially in 1978 Marcus, the the brilliant researcher, successfully creates the T virus using that progenitor virus, that original one, um, and infusing it with leeches. So he finds a way to like imbue the T virus with leeches, which gives it gives it certain properties uh, to regenerate. Um, and one of the byproducts of that is if it infects humans, they become zombies. So this is where the whole T virus oh, okay, zombies thing okay. starts. But Spencer, of course trying to figure out what Marcus is doing, steals the T-virus, thanks to William Birkin and Albert Wesker, uh, and then brings it to this mansion that he's built in the woods in the Arklay Mountains, which is outside of Raccoon City. So this is all, of course, going to come to play in the 90s when the, the Raccoon City incident, which is kind of what kicks off the, the game series, happens. But he takes the T-virus and brings it to his his underground lab under this mansion in the Arklay Mountains. Um, hopping back to antarctica so um alexander creates these kind of these clones i'm still unsure about this and i don't think the synopses that i looked at were very clear but essentially what alexander did was he cloned members of his family and then pretended that they were his children um and so alexia his daughter who i think was really his aunt or something a clone of his aunt i it's very confusing um Hmm. She's brilliant. She's like this this brilliant researcher. So she creates the strain of this virus called the T. Veronica virus, and she injects her dad with it to test it out. Of course, like you do, you know, that's what you yeah, good, obviously, good father figure. Um, and it turns him into this creature called Nosferatu. So she's like, okay, wait a minute. So this thing gives you power, but it mutates too quickly in humans. So what we need to do is inject someone and then put them in stasis for a certain amount of time so that they can come out of the stasis and the thing will be stabilized and they can just retain their human form and control it better. So interesting. She injects herself, of course, because she wants this power. (laughs) And then she puts herself into a cryogenic sleep for 15 years and we'll come back to her. So she's on ice. She's, she's chilling out. 
William Birkin, that doctor, one of the doctors that, um, one of the researchers that Spencer assigned to Marcus to spy on him, um, uses the T-virus to create hunters, so bioweapons. So this is where bioweapons start coming into play, and that's what Umbrella would be known for. Um, they're coming up with these bioorganic weapons, or BOWs as they call them. Um, and so he creates these hunters, which are like a fusion of like reptiles and apes and humans, um, and are kind of these strong, upright reptile type things. But they're really dumb, and he wants something that's smart. So he continues his research and trying to imbue them with intelligence, and he creates the tyrant, which becomes a, a staple later on in the series, which is basically almost like a superhuman, big, tall, strong, you know, not quite a zombie, but this like bioweapon essentially. Spencer's like, you know what? I got what I need from Marcus. Let's just get rid of him. So he has Wesker, the other scientist, kill Marcus and dump his body. But unfortunately, Wesker, maybe not the brightest, kills him and dumps him with his leeches, his mutated leeches. So the <laughs> leeches are like, oh, daddy. So the leeches absorb <laughs> his body because they're like, we can't let this go to waste. Um, and then reform as him. There's some weird stuff going on with family here. That's all I have to oh, say. It, <laughs> it, it gets weirder. Yeah, definitely. But, um, but yeah, the, 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 they, so he, Marcus doesn't necessarily come back to life, but he's sort of like embodied in this, these leeches, these leech creatures. Cause they like took his DNA. And so they, he like sort of kind of comes, comes back to life. Um, and now he wants revenge cause he's pissed. He's like, God damn it. I put all this work and time into building this company up. And now this damn Spencer guy's, he stabbed me in the back and and uh, took my research, so he comes back with leech powers and wants revenge on Umbrella. So at this point in time, we're almost to the present present day, meaning when the the series of games starts, which is the nineteen nineties. Um, again, we have these three white dudes went to Africa, stole this flower, started experimenting with it, started creating bioweapons, mm-hmm. um, and then started turning on each other. And one of them ran off to Antarctica. One of them had the other one killed. Um, so we only have Spencer now. Spencer's the only remaining founder. So he's controlling Umbrella by the, the time 1990s come around. And he's realizing he needs more power, more resources. And his little, little small little lab under his mansion in the woods isn't going to do it. So mm-hmm. using this money that he's been getting basically from Umbrella being a pharmaceutical front, he starts trying to influence the local city, Raccoon City, uh, and he establishes a lab underneath the city and be- it begins influencing um, what what goes on in the city or the city itself by investing in infrastructure and being this big, friendly corporate sponsor of the city. He's bribing officials, including, most importantly, the chief of police. So mm-hmm. he has the chief of police in his pocket and he says um, he makes the chief establish the stars paramilitary group in the police force so star stands for special tactics and rescue service and when you play the first game they seem like a perfectly good fine organization right but you come to find out that spencer is behind their formation because he wants a group of paramilitary people to test his bioweapons how else are you going to test it so you get data to sell it to military organizations if you don't have a group to to fight them and test them of course so he, having this influence over the police chief, appoints Albert Wesker, that second doctor who killed Marcus, as its leader. Okay. Um, and Wesker would go on to be one of the, the great antagonists of the series. Um, and so later, 
you know, all through all of this mani- manipulation, Spencer controlling Wesker, Wesker controlling stars, um, we we come to the opening of the the entire series. So um, in terms of release dates, the first game, Resident Evil, was the first in the series. But Resident Evil 0 came out around the time Resident Evil 4 came out and is actually where the story kicks off. So it start, it's, okay. it's what kicks off the events that lead to the first game. So essentially, there have been these mysterious deaths that have been happening in the Arclay Mountains outside of Raccoon City. Um, and there's this outbreak of the virus that happens at that that underground lab in Spencer Mansion. And so Stars, that paramilitary group in the police force, um, sends Bravo team to investigate. Their, their secondary, their second tier team, Bravo team. They send it to investigate uh, the outbreak. or the Not the outbreak. It hasn't really been an outbreak yet, but there's mysterious murders. Um, but Wesker sabotages their helicopter and crashes it. So it crashes in the woods. They find a train that's been derailed. And it was a military convoy that was transporting this alleged killer billy cohen this is the only game he appears in um but it's been derailed and now everyone on the train is a zombie so again at the time you don't really know it but wesker is basically manipulating them into fighting these zombies fighting these leeches to Mm -hmm. to get combat data so the team is attacked and dispersed and you play the game as one of the star's members rebecca valentine um and she teams up with billy cohen so the game is kind of a two-player kind of co-op game you play rebecca and billy and long story short, they defeat the old old leech dude, Marcus, um, who, again, came back for revenge. But Bravo team is missing, right? So they went off to go, you know, explore stuff. They got their helicopter crashed. They got broken up. Some of them got killed by these zombies. So Wesker uh, accompanies Alpha team. So they're like, oh, I got to bring out the big guns to go find Bravo team. So that's where the first game kicks off is you're Jill Valentine. You play Jill Valentine and Chris Redfield, um, and you are a part of the Bravo team with Barry Burton, Brad Vickers, and then, of course, Albert Wesker, and you're going to search for Bravo team. You see a crash, you go down to investigate, and then they get chased into this big creepy mansion by zombie dogs, and that's the opening of the first game you're in this big spooky mansion you don't know it's the spencer mansion with the lab underneath you're just like what the hell is this mansion doing out in the woods um and so and you don't know that wesker obviously has like betrayed you and like led you here to collect combat data but that's basically what he was led to do was he was like ordered to lead them here they get to fight hunters and zombies and zombie dogs and giant shark and giant spiders um while all the while being monitored and recorded for combat data. And then he was instructed to, of course, blow up the mansion. So um, they split up, they make their way through the mansion. Um, eventually they run into Rebecca Valentine from Resident Evil Zero. And she's like, bruh, Wesker is crazy. You need to fucking, you need to do something about that dude. So they confront him. Wesker releases the tyrant on them. That's the first test of the tyrant, first combat capability test of the tyrant. Um, Jill and Chris destroy the tyrant and everyone escapes the mansion pretty much unharmed. Cool. Great. Fun. Mm -hmm. But of course, Chris and Jill go back to Raccoon City and they're like, dudes and dudettes, guess what happened? This fucking mansion out there, zombies, giant sharks. And everyone's like, uh, yeah, zombies. Okay. Got it. Yeah. (laughs) Giant sharks. That's yeah, I get it. 
Um, and not to mention, like, Umbrella has been this big supportive organization. They're this big friendly corporation that's done so much for the city. Why? How mm. you're telling us they do experiments on and on dogs and people? That sounds ridiculous. Um, and not to mention, all of your evidence, quote unquote, was blown up with the house. So no one mm. believes them. Of course, the, all these officials that buy or that Bioware that um uh. Umbrella has paid off are covering it up too. the chief of police and everyone being like, no, you know, we're not going to investigate. Um, so no one believes them. So Chris, Jill and Barry are all like, well, you know what? We'll do it ourselves. So we're going to go find evidence. Um, so Chris leaves for Europe. Jill and Barry are in the city. They're getting ready to leave when all hell breaks loose. Now, this is where Resident Evil 2 starts, but they don't, you know, and it's you have to go into the game to, to understand kind of how the outbreak happened. The Resident Evil 2 starts when in a, in Raccoon City and there's already an outbreak. Zombies are everywhere. Everything's crazy. But it doesn't really say kind of like how it starts. Well, how it starts is Dr. William Birkin, that other lead scientist that we talked about earlier who was spying on Marcus, mm-hmm. um, gets spooked. So he thinks, oh, no, there might be investigations. I need to get out of here. So he is intent to sell samples of the T-virus to the military. He's like, their bioweapons are all this potential. He's going to say, so he steals the samples and he's trying to leave the city, but Umbrella gets wind of it and they corner him. They shoot him to kill him, uh, breaking a lot of the vials. And he injects himself to, as like a last ditch effort um, with the virus. And so rats come along and they numb up the, the broken vials <laughs> Um, and spread it as rats do. And so mm-hmm. that's how the outbreak happens. So the, the, the T-virus gets leaked underground and rats spread it. And now the whole city, which is massive outbreak, zombies everywhere. Um, and poor Joe Valentine is like, God damn, you couldn't give me one more day. I was almost gone. So now she has to escape the zombie-infested city. Worse, Umbrella sees this as an opportunity to take care of their little star pesky stars problem by unleashing one of their new experiments, the Nemesis, who's a tyrant-like bioweapon that's specifically made to track down and kill STARS members. That's all it's meant to do. They're going to drop it, and it's just going to go kill all those STARS members who are making trouble for them. Um, and they also drop some tyrants around the city as well, just for good measure. You know, just make sure everyone yeah. gets taken care of. So Resident Evil 3 takes place sort of before and after resident evil 2 and it's the story of jill running from nemesis kicking nemesis's ass and escaping the city she's helped by a dude named carlos oliviera who's the only time we see him as well there's a lot of these characters that are just in one game essentially um and he's a mercenary hired by umbrella to help evacuate citizens he doesn't really he doesn't really know what's going on um but he helps Jill escape the city. Jill gets infected at one point by Nemesis. He helps cure her. Um, and then, of course, they, again, they 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 escape the city and everyone's happy. But while she's running around being a badass, the events of Resident Evil 2 take place. The Resident Evil 2 centers around two characters. Leon Kennedy, who's a new rookie cop for the Raccoon Police Department. He's coming to report for his first day. Perfect timing. And then Chris Redfield's sister, Claire. So Chris Redfield from the first game, his sister, Claire, you know, has gotten word from her brother. She knows kind of what's going on. So she's like, I need to come track him down. So she, okay. they both show up to Raccoon City at the same time. Um, and they're both headed for the Raccoon City Police Department. But of course, they're like, oh, my God, look at all these zombies everywhere. Surprise. 
So they get separated on the way to the police station and they're like, we'll meet up later. So essentially it's the same thing as the first game. You can choose to play as Chris or Leon um, as they make their way to and through the police station uh, to both find each other and then escape. So they're separated, like I said, and then Claire in her story runs into Sherry Birkin, the young daughter of William Birkin, the scientist who injected himself. And then Leon encounters Ada Wong, who says that she's a spy who's looking for dirt on Umbrella, but is later revealed to be a mercenary just bent on stealing the formula and selling it, which is like a theme in this this whole series. We're going to keep people just trying to steal it and sell it. Um, She gets shot by Sherry's mom, um, but appears both the gunshot and appears to be a very long high fall. Uh, And then while all of this is happening, Dr. Birkin, who injected himself, is causing chaos as he mutates from that injection. So he's getting bigger and stronger and more dangerous and more eyeball-y. He's got like eyeballs popping up all over the place. Um, Yeah, that's probably the biggest thing. Like when you inject yourself (laughs) with one of these things, that's the worst side effect. You're like, oh, I get bigger and stronger. But I get a giant like basketball sized eyeball in the middle of my chest. So don't don't do that. Um, Eventually... Leon and Claire both manage to defeat him. They destroy the lab in the self-destruct sequence, which is another staple of the series. Um, And the city is... So, okay. So they escape. Again, Jill, Carlos escapes. So Leon, Claire, Jill, Carlos, Barry, Sherry, and probably Ada escape the city. Excuse me. Just before it's nuked by the U.S. government. So the government was like, oh, shit zombies oh my god it's a real it's like a movie thing so they're like nope not we're nipping that in the bud so they nuke the city just just after just moments after everyone escapes so the government begins the process of dismantling umbrella because of course they're like fucking zombies Um, but umbrella puts up a fight and they're like it wasn't us it's not what it seems like we were just trying to help people and blah 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 Um, and of course they're a big powerful corporation so you know they're, they're gonna put up a fight So Claire, after Resident Evil 2, decides to continue her journey to find Chris, and she goes to France, she gets caught by Umbrella, they transport her to a secret base in Antarctica, which we've already discussed, Um, and Alexia, the, the, the one who put herself into cryostasis, awakens from her cryonap, And she's been injected by that virus, so she becomes, again, a massive, deadly, mutated uh, monster. Um, Chris shows up because he hears that Claire is at this base. So now Chris and Claire finally are reunited in the same place. Um, And we encounter our old friend Wesker. So Wesker, you know, after the events of, of the first game, we don't really know what happened to him. But he shows up and he's like, give me that virus. I want to steal that virus. So he's showing potential signs of genetic enhancement. We see his eyes are a weird color. He seems very super. He seems super fast and super strong. Um, but Chris and Claire are able to evade him. I think he steals a strain. I can't quite remember. Um, but his, his whole thing was trying to steal a strain of this new strain of the virus, the TLX, uh, the T Veronica virus. Um, but Chris and Claire evade him. They defeat Alexia and they blow up the lab in a huge explosion as we are establishing as a a normal thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Shortly after that, Wesker releases stolen umbrella documents to the public and totally screws them over in their fight against the government. So at this point, he's done with Umbrella. He's worked with them for decades, but he's like, you guys are your old news. I got my own thing going on. So he steals documents, releases them, and Umbrella is screwed. They get dismantled by the government, and they're no no longer, supposedly. 
2004. A Spanish cult kidnaps the president. This is this is this is where we start getting <laughs> real soap opera. Everything up to that point has been all sort of self-contained. You could say it's it all, wild, but right, but yeah. it's all like around this raccoon incident. It's around mm-hmm. these three white dudes. They steal it. They're experimenting. There's this big outbreak, and they, it all yeah. kind of like fits together in a kind of convoluted way. But now we start getting full on like anime or like you know just ridiculous soap opera Mm -hmm. in 2004 a spanish cult kidnaps ashley graham the united states president's daughter with the plan of injecting her with a parasite known as plaga before returning her to her family so now we're also on a different kick we started out with a virus all the viruses and offshoots the t-virus the g-virus all that stuff came from those flowers now there's a new kind of infection called the plaga and it's a parasite that allows for mind control so Leon Kennedy, our rookie cop who only had one day on the job in Resident Evil 2, is sent to rescue the president's daughter, um, whose kidnap is, kidnapping is being kept a secret. So the U.S. government doesn't want anyone to know that she's been kidnapped. So, of course, they don't send in a team. They just send in one man, Leon Kennedy, um, who also gets injected with the virus, LOL. And he encounters two agents who reportedly work for our old friend Wesker, and are, of course, trying to steal a sample of the Plaga. Because, again, that's what you do. Mm-hmm. So one of those agents is Leon's old crush, Ada, who helps him take down the cult leader, Sadler, um, before stabbing Leon in the back again and stealing the sample of the Plaga and, you know, jetting. Um, but for his, for for, you know... For everything that happened, Leon does end up saving the president's daughter, Ashley, and they remove the parasites from themselves and they escape the, of course, exploding facility on a jet ski. Insert sunglass emoji here. So after that, Chris and Jill team up to arrest Spencer. So Chris and Jill, our, our duo from the first game, are like, we, can need, we need to take Spencer down. He's the last remaining umbrella you know mastermind he's behind all of this so we need to take him down so they go track him down to this big old mansion in the woods a different one uh but they find that wesker has beat them to the punch by punching spencer through the chest and killing him Hmm. um and then they start fighting him but again spencer's superhuman at this point he's super fast super strong so spencer's about to to deal a deadly blow to chris when jill yeets herself and spencer or wesker through a window over an edge this long fall and they both appear to be dead but of course we know this is a soap opera now as we've established so they both survive the fall wesker brings jill's body to his evil hideout and freezes her for later use so that's right that's that's disturbing later (laughs) use oh god he made her an ice cream jill sandwich and so if you play the first game there's a joke where Never mind. So, <laughs> um, so Wesker has Jill in his in his captivity, and then Chris um, starts working for this company called the BSAA, which he thinks is meant to go around and clean up Umbrella's mess. There's a new there a new organization that's purportedly meant to kind of go around and take care of any kind of bioweapon research or bioweapons that have been released around the globe. So he arrives at the order of the BSAA with his new partner, Shiva Alamar. Again, the only game she appears in. Um, 
to investigate this new parasite that's kind of like the plaga that's taken over the taken over the small town in Africa um, and a- attracted this mercenary Ricardo Irving who's reportedly looking to to capitalize on that on the new vi- or the new parasite I should say um, and he's been selling bows these bioweapons um, they find him they track him down they kill him they find the cave where the whole story starts where this flower was was cultivated by the original trio of white colonists um, and they find out in the process that guess who's running this this new organization the BSAA Wesker who's freaking behind everything Wesker has thought out the Jill sandwich and is now controlling her using this mind control device. I know. It's getting more and more convoluted. Um, and Wesker has Jill attack Chris and Shiva. They take her down. They free her from the mind control. And they track Wesker down and fight him. He's now supercharged and superhuman. Um, they shoot him in the face with a rocket launcher. And apparently kill him. Apparently that is the, the actual end of of Wesker. So now we're in full full freaking full soap opera territory now and we get to resident evil 6 the story for resident evil 6 is so dumb <laughs> there's a, there are reasons that people don't like resident evil 6 and the story is one of them so sherry birkin dr william birkin's daughter the little girl from resident evil 2 is back she's now a federal agent she's tasked with traveling to this fictional eastern european country of idonia and securing this man named Jake Muller, who apparently has blood that is immune to a new strain of the original virus that's been created and cultivated by a group called Neo Umbrella. So Neo Umbrella is this group that wants to continue the research of the original Umbrella. Jake, this guy in Eastern Europe, as it turns out, mysteriously, is Wesker's long-lost son. So again, now mm. we're getting to this bizarre, stupid soap opera stuff. <laughs> Do you have a question? Tell me how you really feel. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just the uh, this is I think a lot of fans, including myself, started being like, "Come on, can you just get back to mm. what made the story or the 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 games interesting? Why does it have to be? You have to keep finding ways to like twist and turn the story. It just started getting kind of just dumb. Um, meanwhile, as Sherry's off trying to track this Jake character down. The president, the new president of the United States decides to come clean about the raccoon incident because that was all covered up. The U.S. pretended like it was this, you know, accidental explosion or whatever. Um, They didn't tell anyone about the zombies, but the president's like, no, we need to come clean. But that Neo Umbrella group organization has a plant working at the NSA and they have him release a virus, the virus at the White House, which turns the president into a zombie. Leon, he's born and bred for zombie killing, baby. So he sees a zombie, he's got to kill it. So he kills the zombie president. But of course, everyone's like, Kills the zombie president. You killed the zombie president. You killed the president. So Leon's like, ah, well, shit. So he has to leave the country. So he goes to China to hunt down that NSA spy because he's like, I'm going to clear this up. I'll go get the guy who did it. So he goes to China to hunt down this NSA spy where he just happens to meet up with Sherry, Jake, and Chris Redfield, who's hunting Leon's old pseudo flame, Ada, uh-huh. who turns out to be a clone. But then the real Ada shows up and kills her her clone and blows up the research facility because that's what she does. Um, uh, Leon takes down the Neo Umbrella NSA spy. Jake's blood stops a new outbreak. And that's that fucking 
stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so now that brings us to the latest game in the uh, latest entry in the series, Resident Evil Seven. Um, we've had viruses. We'd have we've had parasites, and now we have mushrooms. Not really mushrooms, but um, fungal spores essentially. So now we have fungus. So a new group called the Connections. Which we need to just get rid of the groups. We need to just get back to Umbrella. But but hey, there's this new group called Connections that have found a way to use a necrotoxin found in fungal spores to create a new kind of bioweapon that can not only control people's minds, but also create new beasts, new little beasties using mold spores. So it can hmm. basically create new you know, creatures at will. Um, and it's this new bioweapon... The, the the bioweapon, I don't remember why, honestly, but the bioweapon takes the form of a 10-year-old girl who they call Eveline. Um, and so as a sort of cover for this young girl, they need to transport her. So they, tra- they decide to transport her on a ship. Um, and to cover for the uh, this young girl, they have these two researchers who accompany her and act as her parents, right? Because that's, that's far less suspicious than a 10-year-old girl just wandering around on her own. So... She goes crazy and kills everyone on board, uh, except for her quote-unquote mom, a, mm-hmm. a woman named Mia, who's acting as her mother, right? So um, then the ship gets caught in this big storm and crashes in the ship in a Louisiana bayou. That shit, or that bayou, just happens to back up to the property of the Baker family. Uh, the Baker family is this mostly very nice southern Louisiana family. Um and they, they find out the ship has crashed in the storm and they go out to look for survivors and they find Evelyn and Mia. And that's all they know is it's this young girl and her mom, right? So right. they take them in to save them, to care for them. Evelyn's like, wait a minute, Evelyn or Evelyn? I can't remember how it's pronounced, but Evelyn's like, I think it's Evelyn. Um, she's like, well, I, that's all I wanted was a family and I had to kill my dad. So I wa- <laughs> I'm going to take over this new family. So she infects the Baker parents what a plan i know yeah i mean you know it, what do they say it's your your chosen family you choose mm-hmm. your so she's choosing her family she's like the bakers seem nice so she infects um mom and dad mom and pa mom and pa baker um to be her new family her new parents um there's also a son and daughter uh zoe and lucas um the parents basically become when they become infected become now suddenly deranged and murderous um zoe is kind of running from them and hiding trying to find a way to if not save them stop them and then lucas who's really the piece of shit of the family the family is great before they're infected lucas is always a piece of shit though the connection contacts lucas and they're like hey we'll give you a cure or vaccine against this um, parasitic or a fungal infection but you have to give us information so he becomes sort of this like spy for the connection who sticks around reports on everything that's going on um and mia has been trying to send distress uh, distress um not distress she sends a distressing message to her husband ethan winters who's the protagonist of resident evil 7 he has no idea that his wife is a researcher that's this agent for the connection um the message that she or what she told him was she was going on a babysitting job which i guess is not totally a lie right mm-hmm. babysitting a there's a little bit of truth in there <laughs> a fungal creature but 
technically speaking, she's still babysitting. So that's all she knows is, or that's all he knows is that she went on this like babysitting adventure. Um, and she went missing. She was reported as dead. So he gets this message from her being like, you know, where she's obviously distressed and she's like, stay away. But you get a, a video from your presumed dead spouse saying, don't come save me. You're not going to be like, okay. <laughs> so he's like, I'm going to come save you. So he goes down to Louisiana. He finds the house where, where the message came from. He slays his way through the Baker family, aided by the daughter, Zoe, who's been, again, trying to v- escaping the mom and dad. Um, and then he repays Zoe for her help by using the last remaining cure for the fungal infection, which Zoe has been infected with on his wife Mia instead of her. So and he leaves her to die. Technically speaking, the game gives you the choice to cure either Zoe or Mia, but the story the canon answer is Mia. Mia survives Zoe. Right, right. Zoe does also survive, but it's in there's some DLC that explains that whole thing. Um but yeah, so Ethan Winters is the protagonist. He fights his way through the family. He kills Evelyn right at the last second, aided by Chris Redfield, who shows up. So Chris Redfield, this is the only connection to the previous games, is Chris Redfield shows up at the very last second and gives Ethan a weapon to help kill Evelyn. Um, and it's re- it's revealed right at that last second that Chris is working for this new organization called Blue Umbrella that is reportedly dedicated, like the BSAA, to cleaning up umbrellas messes um chris and his team later track down lucas and they bat 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 him too so lucas is dead and that's where we start resident evil village it stars ethan winters as well again looking for not his wife this time but his daughter who's been kidnapped by some mysterious group um in eastern europe this poor dude yeah uh yeah in resident evil 7 that's what interests me. In Resident Evil 7, he gets his arm chopped off and then stapled back on. Yeah. And at one point, if you do the right thing, he gets his leg chopped off. Oh, and then he, he puts it back on and pours some, like, you know, medical junk or medical like, liquid on it. And it just that makes sense. reattaches and he's able to use Jesus it. Christ. And so they don't really say in the game that he has, like, healing properties. But I think it's kind hmm. of implied that he might have some based on his intake of the spores or something i have no idea but there's some that's very wild right so that's the story in a nutshell i'm missing a bunch of stuff i'm missing that's a side the story in a nutshell i know so it's a whole bunch of nuts that's like 20 percent <laughs> of the story there's more i oh miss stuff God. i know people hardcore resident evil fans are probably like what about this person what about this game i'm leaving out a bunch of stuff but i just included what i thought was like relevant for what i think might happen in resident evil village i think we're going to get more revelations. I mean, Chris Redfield's in this game. Mm-hmm. He kills, supposedly kills Ethan's wife in front of him. So there's going to be more Chris. And I think that we're going to get more revelations about what happened to Umbrella, who this blue Umbrella is. Yeah. So hopefully that was not too long and boring, but that's that's kind of the run up to Resident Evil Village. And I think what's going to what's going to set us up for that. So, well, I have a quick question. All right, so hit me hit me with your juicy questions. Okay, so that was a lot. Um, <laughs> I think what I learned most was just about um, Resident Evil Biohazard. That's what it's called, right? The 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 Resident Evil Seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. um, that's the one that I. That's the only Resident Evil that I have attempted to play, and that's the one that I I watched 
you play some, I think. We did VR. Mm -hmm. And then I also watched a couple of um, like Twitch streamers play through it. But that really helped to clarify like <laughs> the kind of leading into it. My question is, so like you said that the movies aren't really related. Are they not even related to that premise of the three white colonizer dudes taking the flower in Africa? I haven't seen the last, I think, three movies. I think I've only seen the first four. And okay. I don't remember them very well. Um, I don't remember if they actually go into that part of it. In the movies, Umbrella still exists. Umbrella is still a big part of the movies. It still has mm -hmm. that sort of like corporate presence. Um, and the first movie, there's, there is a house that's like a mysterious house with some booby traps and stuff and all that kind of stuff going on. But I don't remember if they talk about who started or like who made the house or anything okay. like that so i i don't remember if the movies address that or not well okay all right yeah i i do want to watch we'll re-watch the first three and then you know get through the rest of them yeah. <laughs> um the summer plans um and then my second question is so obviously there are a lot of games but how was the first game received critically like was it a game that people were like oh my god this is amazing 10 out of 10 or was it like this is a solid new game i i don't know if it was talked about in terms of 10 out of 10 but it was at the time when the playstation platform was was finding its identity and it was okay. one of the killer apps so like it was okay. such a new different experience um that was a very sort of familiar zombie kind of story but also you're put right in the middle of the action so it's if you look at like early playstation like series that they became known for it's like final fantasy metal gear solid resident evil and then of course the, the first party like spyro and all that kind of stuff but okay. um it was received very well again i don't know if it was like 10 out of 10 but it was certainly one of the most highly regarded games of that year i would say okay um the sequel, Resident Evil 2, even more so, that is often talked about in terms of greatest games of all time that was very well remembered. Uh, Resident Evil 3, maybe not quite as much. People were a little bit disappointed by it because technically speaking, it wasn't even really made to be a Resident Evil game. It was being made as something else. And then it was kind of changed halfway through the development to be a Resident Evil game. So it feels a little bit uh, different. Okay. Um, but yeah, the first few games were pretty, pretty well received. Okay. And I um I looked it up uh according to Wikipedia, which we know how reliable that can be. <laughs> um the term survival horror was first used for Resident Evil in um 96. Yes, right? but I I followed those But go ahead. Sorry. There are other games that probably fit yes. that like term. So. Right. It's it was like retro retroactively applied to like the Alone in the Dark series. Yes. I followed those those sources though and I'm not sure I Oh. I'm not sure about the credibility of the sources uh, that <laughs> well, that came like I from. Said, <clears throat> Wikipedia. So I would need to dig into that a little bit more um, to find out legitimately what what the first use is. I would have to look through like right. journalism, gaming journalism from the time, yeah. which I don't really have the time to I do. I just thought but it was interesting. Yeah, 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 definitely. And that's why I, I kind of left it at like it defined the genre because I don't know mm -hmm. again if it coined the term or if it just became like the absolute kind of go-to example of what survival horror was and could be. Right. Um, but then, of course, Silent Hill came out not long after that. And then, mm -hmm. you know, the, the ball got, got kind of rolling. Um, but 
but yeah, I, I think Resident Evil Seven and Resident Evil Village are are. So you said Resident Evil Biohazard, which is an interesting distinction because with Resident Evil Seven Biohazard, I, I think forgot the numbers. That's why I said. That. Oh well, no, it's 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 actually <laughs> funny that you say that because with, with that game they tried pitching it as just Resident Evil Biohazard, and people were like, "Oh, they're going. Is this like a remake? Are they rebooting it? Because it's not right, right. the same setting. It's not the same characters, especially when the game before the game came out." We had no idea how it fit into the Resident Evil universe. And then for all intents and purposes, it didn't um, until the very end of the game when Chris shows up and he's like, oh, yeah, I do this stuff all the time. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I feel like they were trying to reboot the essence of the series. Um, and also, I think they're trying to avoid the marketing problem of numbered series where Resident Evil 7 scares certain consumers off because they're like, I can't buy that. I don't, I've never played Resident Evil one through six. Like that's too far along in a series to feel like I can comfortably jump in or I'm just constantly like, you know, asking people like, can I jump in? Do I have to play the previous games? So with Resident Evil Village, they're doing that even more so. Technically it is still Resident Evil eight. It's even stylistically Mm -hmm. in the marketing in the title, Um, but they will not. They refuse to call it Resident Evil eight in discussions of it they say resident evil village resident evil village because they're hoping to reach an audience of people who've never played the game or who haven't played any of the previous games um and so it's interesting that you made that distinction because i think capcom would be happy to hear you say that because they probably want people (laughs) not calling this resident evil 8 and in fact at uh, i think when the first trailer came out journalists were like oh so this is resident evil 8 right because you can see the little five and the you know, two, you know, three in the title, and they were like, "No, it's Resident Evil Village," and it's like, it's right there. We can see it, and they're like, "No, it's Resident Evil Village." So they're very <laughs> determined, I think, to get people on board, which does make me think that it's not going to tie too much into the previous games. We know Chris is in it. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that they clarify Umbrella's role and stuff like that, but I don't think that suddenly Rebecca Valentine's going to show up or a Jill Valentine's going to show up and. People are going to be like, oh, there's Jill and oh, there's Leon. And you know what I mean? I think that would be too much. But I do think at the very end, there's going to be some kind of like tip off of like another Mm -hmm. character. They did that with Resident Evil 7. I really expect them to do that here. I think at the very end, we're going to get a glimpse of Jill or Claire or someone like that. So, Okay. Well, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about your just kind of general experience with the franchise. Yeah, I just wanted to kind of gush about it a little bit um, because it's a series that I've loved since the beginning. And it was really, you know, we talked about before that we don't really like to take sides. We're not like, I'm, an, I'm a PlayStation guy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I used to be a fanboy, certainly with Nintendo. I grew up with Nintendo, so going into the N64 versus PlayStation era, I was hardcore Nintendo. I was like, stupid Sony, you don't know how to make video games. Stay, you know, stick to making, you know, audio devices. (laughs) But I kept reading these reports about these games that were coming out. And there was this game coming out called Resident Evil that was going to allow you to investigate this spooky mansion that was filled with these like shuffling zombies and zombie dogs and giant spiders. And I was like, fuck that sounds so cool and it sounds unlike anything that i can play on the nintendo 64 and my my sister's uh boyfriend had a playstation he had just bought one and i was like hey would you be willing to like buy this game and like 
you know, let me watch you play it. And he was like, you can play it. I'll, you, you play him like me and your sister will just watch. So my, my memories of my earliest PlayStation memories of, are of going up into my sister's boyfriend's attic and like playing through resident evil with them watching. And we would play through multiple times. Um, and it was just such such a funny, which is kind of funny now that I think about it, because we're going to be playing Village, you're going to be watching me. Mm-hmm. So it was like going back to my roots too. Yeah. Um, because then we were excited. I was so excited for Resident Evil 2. And so that's when I was like, okay, I love playing through Resident Evil and having them watch, but I, I want to play it more. I want to play it all the time. Like, I don't want to just be like, hey, can we play tomorrow? Can you play on Tuesday? That kind of thing. Um, so I begged and pleaded for a PlayStation from my parents and we came up to an agreement. I, I paid for some of it. They paid for some of it. Um, but I got a PlayStation for resident evil two. And the first two games I got for it were resident evil director's cut. Cause it came out with a director's cut and then resident evil two. And that sort of started my love affair with with PlayStation. It's it's what converted me from from being a Nintendo fanboy. So, um, I I played the set. The second one was even better than the first. It was so big. Uh, I loved the third one. Jill Valentine is my favorite Resident Evil character of all time. Um, I have a bit of a video game crush on her. Uh, and then I've played every mainline s- entry since Resident Evil Four. So I, let me. Uh, since okay i think that that's fine in terms of like well what i've played or whatever but um in terms of my favorites i think the resident evil 2 remake is my favorite out of the entire series i would say resident evil 4 is probably um second place and then it sort of jumps around from there probably resident evil 1 and then I don't know. I haven't really thought about it beyond that point. But I I would say my top three are Resident Evil Two Remake, Resident Evil Four, and the the remake of Resident Evil One. I should say the reason the remake okay. is really good. Um, I didn't. I'm I'm on board with a lot of people. I know that there are aspects of Resident Evil Six and Resident Evil Five that are good. Um, but I didn't love either of those. It starts with Resident Evil Four. Even it starts turning into more of an action oriented, um, series. And I was explaining to you, I think off mic, that there's sort of a trend. The first three games, Resident Evil 1, 2, and 3, have a very distinct look and feel. And then Resident Evil 3, or sorry, 4, 5, and 6 go with a over-the-shoulder camera mm-hmm. viewpoint. And so they have their own kind of distinct feel. And then starting with Resident Evil 7, it's first person. So is Village. So I'm assuming there's going to be another you know entry into this trilogy it's going to be another first person entry but um i loved resident evil 7 in fact now that i'm thinking about it i don't know why i neglected to put that on the list if it's not third for me it'd probably be fourth i really liked it um it doesn't have some of the classic nostalgic stuff of course so it's not like i'm like oh all my favorite characters but Mm -hmm. i really liked what it did with like the first person perspective there's a lot of I like the big spooky mansion thing. I like working my way through puzzles and unlocking doors and things like that. So that's really cool. And that's part of what has me so excited for village is because it's that times however many, because it's a big castle. It's not just some, you know, uh, plantation style house in the South. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really jazzed about the, the upcoming game. I really love the series and I can't wait to hear what, what people think about the new game. 
Yeah. I can't wait to watch. I'm I'm very excited. <laughs> <laughs> but if you do we have anything else before I, I was about to start um, wrapping up? I don't I don't think so. All right. Well, we will report back next week, of course. Um, I'm getting yes. the game this Friday. I'll be playing all weekend. Tab will be watching me. So if you have mm-hmm. any thoughts on the Resident Evil franchise that you would like to share, reach out to us at uh, prettypixelspodcast at gmail.com. As I mentioned, I'll be posting. Uh, I've been posting a lot about Resident Evil on my Twitter. So if you're interested in that or if you want to see some pictures of my unboxing of the um, Mass Effect Legendary cash box and helmet, Check out my Twitter at Losperman. And until next week, we will see you later. Bye. Bye.